episode of Strong Tea. I'm Vicky. And I'm Katie. And if you haven't joined us before, we have a back catalogue full of episodes that are interesting, some inspiring people, and today will not disappoint as we continue along in our journey. So what is Strong Tea about? It's all about talking about topics that some people consider controversial, some people consider taboo, It's topics that people tend to bury their head in the sand over. And what we like to do here is invite guests on to talk to us about their experiences, their journey, their story. So we can just begin that discussion outside of talking about things openly. So today is no exception. We have an absolutely inspiring guest and a fascinating topic. But before we introduce the marvellous Joe, what are we all drinking? Joe, as our guest, what are you drinking? I really like being described as the marvellous Joe, by the way. Marvellous Joe. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like you sound like a magician. I was thinking that. <laughs> yeah, if I ever get a job as a magician, that will be the name. Um, and my surname's Martin, so marvellous Joe Martin. Marvellous Joe Martin. Oh. Uh, oh. I'm drinking... I don't know why you just haven't expanded out into magic, just purely for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I know this untapped resource. Wow. <laughs> um, I am drinking a salted caramel green tea oh that's Ooh. very different yeah it's 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 kind of strange because it tastes <laughs> really nice but it's not it tastes like green tea but it's not sweet but you've also got the salted caramel there can i say the brand i, I probably yeah, I, yeah, that's oh yeah it's uh it's twinings twinnings i'm not oh, sure yeah. been drinking it for about 20 years and uh that brand and I've no idea how to say it but yeah really good really really tasty Mm. I have strong views about green tea because I despise it um I think it tastes (laughs) like uh grass or dirt so in my head it's very nice tasting grass Does that accurately describe the taste? I think I think that would work on the adverts. Yep, it's like grass, <laughs> but tastes a bit nicer. Yeah. Katie, oh, you're Vicky. You you're gonna have, you're gonna have to try that, Vicky. I'm, I am. I, we yeah. definitely have to find you a green tea that you like. I'm just not prepared to try it because I just don't like it. Um, <laughs> but you keep insisting on trying it, so I think I you should give that one a go. I'll buy some for Christmas. <laughs> um, I've gone off piece today uh, due to having a child that's not sleeping, and I have gone for a very strong coffee. Oh, it's three, three heaped teaspoons. Gosh, yes. Um, Gosh. in a very large bucket mug. So, um, it's three I'm gonna be, per day. I'm going to be awake and buzzing for this. Oh, fantastic. what have you got? <laughs> um, I'm calming things down a bit. I'm having a peppermint tea. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Very yeah. zen. Very zen. I did have a coffee earlier, so it's probably going to level me out, I think. Right, so nice. It's all good. It's all good in in the Leightonhood. I like it. I like it. Right. Well, let's kick things off. And I don't really know how to introduce uh, the marvelous Joe Martin now. Joe, <laughs> um, Joe um, jo has been a friend of mine since day dot. I think it's probably fair to say. Um, our parents um, were friends for many, many years before either of us came on the scene. And I think there's probably about eighteen months between us, isn't there? Um, I think it's less. Do you? When's your birthday? September. And mine's November. But I was born in '84. Yep. So we're we're uh, we're what? Thirteen months apart. Thirteen months. Right. Okay. 
So yeah, closer than 18 months. So yeah, and we uh, spend many, many years of um, traveling across the country to stay um, for weekends in uh, Joe's fabulous parents' house, which I was just absolutely obsessed with as a child. And actually, Joe, you came up in another Strong Tea episode the other day because Vicky had a um, herbal tea that was actually, um, you know, the gingerbread, spiced gingerbread Leverkusen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your mum always used to have those in her house, and that's where I became obsessed with them. So, yeah, you would go shout out on Pandora's box. Oh, yes. It's a good one. It's a bird and blend tea one, just plugging it again there. Yeah, yeah. it is good. Um, It's definitely worth a look. There is a um, coffee shop just around the corner from our house. And I've noticed that they've got a sign outside saying gingerbread spiced pumpkin lattes. Oh, yes. Mm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hitting pause now. (laughs) If you want to run down to that shop, that's fine. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to... Uh, I know, Freddie Freddie thinks you should just crack on and and talk and tell us your story and I should stop waffling. So, Joe, without further ado, you're here to talk about your incredible journey of being diagnosed with MS. And I'm just going to hand over to you before Freddie takes over this entire episode. Okay, no worries. Um, Well, Freddie is probably far more interesting than me. But um, I'll talk anyway, and if he uh, if he has something better to say, then then he can crack on. Um, I suppose for me it was a bit of a strange start because I I'd lived a very charmed life um, up to my late twenties. Um, nothing had ever really gone wrong with anything. I'd had a a, a great time um, with sort of been able to travel, gone to different unis. Um, been able to live abroad in several different places and um, had had decent jobs always had uh, girlfriends around or been dating so it was it was very normal but but very like I say very charmed had a very good upbringing um, very nice parents and I had nothing to complain about whatsoever um, and then in my late 20s I was doing a um, half marathon I was training for one because uh a, a, a very close friend of mine's mother died and obviously in those situations you think what can I do how can I be of some kind of use or, or help so we thought oh we'll, we'll do a, a half marathon I started training for it and I, I'd, I'd done them before and I thought I'm getting this seizing up in my leg and uh after a few miles and then after a little bit I noticed that my leg was sort of turning to stone and I went to the doctors about it and they sort of just said, no, you're, you're fine. And then they referred me for physio and they all said, no, you're fine. And then I was chatting to a friend of mine who is a physio and he said, no, you've got a neurological problem. Um, that's not your muscles. That's your your nerves. He said, you need to go back to the GP for, for the third or fourth times, probably about a year or two after figuring it out. Um and I went back to the GP and said, I need this nerve conduction test. I've been to see a physio and uh, went to the um, neurologist. They did an MRI and he said, oh, you've got um, the first stage of multiple sclerosis, which I thought at the time, if I'm honest, was a terminal illness. I knew next to nothing about it. Um, and it was quite worrying. My only experiences of MS were of a family friend who had died from it and somebody in my village who had lost all function completely 
um, as a result of MS and probably wasn't far away from from dying herself. So, uh, so yeah, I, th I thought, oh, this is this is terrible. And then I, I did some reading and found out it's it actually affects everybody in different ways, and the odds of dying from it are quite slim now. Um, and you can get lots of treatments. So, I thought, great, I, I went away, moved moved abroad again, um, and then probably five. Five and a half years, I was absolutely fine. The only thing I couldn't do was run uh, long distances anymore. Came back to England, um, changed medication, and was disabled within two weeks. And by disabled at that stage, I mean I was using a walking stick and struggling a bit. And that developed over a couple of years to the point where my vision started to fade. Um, and I started struggling with various tasks, like moving my hands uh typing and over the last six years it's got worse and worse and now um i'm in a wheelchair and uh vision's very intermittent now struggle speaking i've had big problems with with food and eating and uh lost a tremendous amount of weight from being 12 stone pretty much my whole adult life uh, at Christmas this year, I went down to last year. I was down to six and a half, so almost half the, the human I used to be. Um, and thankfully, it's turning around, um, which I'll get into some various things that had had wonderful support from people, and mm. I've figured out a few medical things myself. And um, now I'm back up to about eight eight and a half stone, which is good. So I no longer have that fear and various foods are becoming available again but uh yeah that's the story up to now so right now i've um moved back to the county i'm from suffolk and uh have bought a house which is quite accessible and i'm just trying to move into that but staying with my parents while i'm building up my my strength and my weight in the meantime mm. it's my very short very long um abridged oh. version of the story up to now and we're gonna flesh that out because there is so much to ask um for the purposes of listeners who don't know and just to kind of get everyone's level of understanding what, what is multiple sclerosis multiple sclerosis is a disease or or an affliction of the nervous system basically your nervous system um thinks that your uh, sorry your immune system thinks that your nervous system um is some kind of uh, problem to your body so starts attacking it so it, it kills these things called myelin which connect to your nerves in your brain and your spine and um, that can affect everybody in different ways depending on where your lesions are and how many there are um, and yeah mine is affecting me in many different ways at the moment some people only get affected mentally some people only get affected physically some people get affected once and then never again some people it's ongoing and some people it's intermittent. So it's uh, it's a very complex disease. And the, mm. and the tagline that a lot of people say is no two people with MS are the same. So I, 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 I know people with MS who run marathons, for example, whereas I, I couldn't run to the fridge, which is two yards from my from where mm. I'm sat right now. So it's yeah, it's very, very complex. Do they know what causes MS? No, no, it's um, 
this is my my sort of theory about ms is that it's more like having a broken leg than having an illness with a definite cause because there's so many different theories about what causes it and different researchers out there some people say it's hereditary some people think it's exposure to certain things um some people think it's uh caused by other illnesses or viruses and there's been loads of research into all of these things um that it can be triggered by another virus or something along those lines but i think it's more like you know if you break your leg you might have fallen down the stairs or you might have tripped over or you might have had a car accident whereas and i think ms is the same i think it's damage to your um nervous system and that that can come from a variety of sources and i'm i'm sure there are many doctors who would dispute me on that but they've yet to find a definitive cause and i think that that's um as a result of the fact that there isn't one there's probably multiple ways to to contract this yeah so it sounds like ms can be a very um it can be hidden because as you said some people can run marathons and whilst in others it's very much a visible disability absolutely and it it's it comes and goes in some people as well so um there are technically four different kinds of ms but um it's hard to even define it as four so uh, some people will have a really vicious attack which will completely take away their vision and their ability to move or walk and then in a few weeks or months they'll be okay and back to normal and some people it's much more consistent um so yeah it's, it's a it's a very very differing illness and it can be can be completely invisible or it can be completely obvious and i've for me, it was completely invisible for, for five and a half years. And then it became completely obvious. So it's sort of uh, been very strange to experience both both ends of that. It sounds like when you went through the stage where you said it happened very, very quickly and you became extremely disabled, not overnight, but almost in the grand scheme of things, that's how quickly it went downhill. How did you, how did you deal with that, with your mental health and, you know, being so active to not being able to do hardly anything it's very hard I mean like I said before this I'd been very active going to festivals moving abroad played football a couple of times a week went to the gym all the time and for the first few years I was still going to the gym and and living a totally normal life and then you lose those various functions and I heard somebody with MS say once that it's kind of you lose a function and you grieve for that and then you, you figure out a way around it and move on. And that's been very much how I've approached it, I think, over the last few years. But certainly as it's got more and more um, functions have been lost in the last probably two to three years where it's got impossible to move around, impossible to walk, like can't get on public transport anymore, uh, need a wheelchair it's been very very hard mentally um and also because the illness can affect you mentally um you don't really know what's you and what's what's the illness of uh, all the lesions on your brain affecting you in that way so it's uh you can be fine one minute and having a, a great time um and feel absolutely awful and irritable the next so mentally it's probably been very tough for me it's probably been very tough on people around me as well i'm i'm in no doubt that it's um, 
been very hard for, for family members and probably some friends and certainly it's probably been the main factor for costing me my last two uh relationships as well in terms of girlfriends so it's um it's definitely taken a huge toll uh but i, I think there'll be good things that come out of that as well so it's it's uh hopefully gonna not all be bad news so you briefly just talked there about some of the challenges can you talk us through like day-to-day things that you know able-bodied people like myself katie and, and others out there we almost take for granted what are the day-to-day challenges that that you have as someone with ms i suppose you could you could start from the very beginning when i wake up i have a bar on my bed to help leaving me out of bed um and if I don't grip it properly or if my legs are too stiff, I just fall out of the bed and then I have to shout for people uh, to come and help me. Um, then there's getting to the shower, which is, can be quite death-defying in itself because um, you have to hold on to something all the time while you're brushing your teeth, uh, drying yourself, whatever else. That can be one big problem. You can't really feel the extremities of your body a lot of the time as well. So, for example, the other morning... I was brushing my teeth and I looked down and I noticed that there was blood all over the bathroom mat. And I thought, oh, my dad must have cut himself. Um, and then I looked down and realized that my foot was bleeding and I'd kicked uh, the side of the door as I'd walked out of my bedroom so hard that it had opened up a wound and I hadn't even realized. Um, so that there's that as well. There's work I can't type anymore. Um, and I need to use voice software. There's um, vision, so people will often be presenting to you at work and you can't actually see what's going on. So those are the big problems. I suppose the other one is stairs are quite tricky. Um, we have a gravel drive outside my parents' house, which means I I can't leave the house without somebody helping me. Um, my, new, my new place that I bought is uh, a bit more accessible and, and some friends have been very kind to set up a fundraiser to allow me to make that more accessible but it'll take time and it'll take a bit of adjustment but yeah it's something that's very positive I've got to say. It, it sounds like an incredibly positive move to go on and to have your independence back but you've talked about a couple of the things there you know that might happen on a daily basis where you need support and assistance do you find it daunting the thought of getting back out there on your own or is it something that you're quite excited about? I'm excited about it. I think I tried to move in a few months ago and a lot of things went wrong with my body coincidentally that week, which was a real shame. Um, I'd been sort of moving around the house quite neatly that week. And then on the day, everything went wrong. We got to the house and the plumbing wasn't quite working and my body just stiffened up. And There's no way I can be left over by myself. I can't actually move. Um, so it, it is daunting, but once I've got a week or two under my belt of being able to move around and do things in a house, this will be a really positive mood and it'll be something that I think will hopefully allow me to springboard into doing other things again, like getting up by myself, getting on public transport, going and, and traveling and fulfilling all those things that I used to do so naturally and so easily, um, that I've not been able to do for sort of three, four years. I mean, I know nobody could because of COVID, uh, but I 
haven't really left the house unassisted for about three and a half years now, four years. And that's, that's quite um, a strange state of affairs considering I used to go out every single day to work and then go out every weekend and would be yeah doing, like I say, exercise and holidays and, and living abroad. It's been, uh, it's been, been a very, very bizarre adjustment. Um, and, and, sort of yeah I'll be, I'll be looking forward so much to actually getting out and doing things and just being a, an independent human being once more I love your positivity mm. about things because there's so many people that would I think just see this you know you talked about it being as a terminal diagnosis mentally as well for a lot of people to to sort of get past that and sort of say you know I want to get out there I want to travel I want to do this it is, and you'll have to forgive my ignorance about this question. Um, is is it a case with MS that you are able to improve? Like, you know, are you able to improve your walking and things like that, or is it to the point where, you know, once your mobility goes, it's very difficult to get it back? How how does that work? Um, I'll make two points on that. The first one is what you say about sort of positivity. I think I'd be lying. And if anyone else with MS heard me say, oh, I'm always positive, um, that just, there's been so many times when it's been really, really low. And I've been sort of um, at the point where I thought I was soon to die or or that I was begging for sort of dignitas or, or to be euthanized. So as hard as that's been, it, it has been something that has happened quite a lot in the last year, especially when my weight went down to six stone. I, I, I honestly thought I had a couple of months left. Um, but, and sorry, what was the question, Katie? I'll, I'll address the um, main point oh, now. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, I should have asked those in two separate ones. Sorry, I was trying to get it out before Freddie wakes up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was about the um, the effects of MS. And is it a case of they go up and down and they do they improve again? Or is it a case of once it's gone, it's gone? This is, again, my sort of theory that, again, doctors might dispute. There's been quite a few people who've improved drastically, but they've done it through diet and functional medicine as it were nobody's ever got better as it were from just following a course of drugs they delay the onset of disability now my theory is after a few days weeks of getting the diet right and eating things correctly things seem to improve for me like my vision improves i can move around the house easier so the way i'm looking at it is you need to somehow nail that for a few months to get various things back. Clinically, I've never technically worsened. So they can't really explain why I've become so disabled in such a, um, in such a manner when all of my scans are exactly the same as they've always been when I was functioning quite normally. The difficulty with that is neurologists will never admit that because they, I think they think they're giving you false hope. Um, but quite a few people have managed to turn their lives around and it nearly always seems to be down to diet. Now, everybody's selling their own version of a diet that they think will help you out. I'm, I've tried a few of those and actually I'm a little bit sceptical of those as well because I think that actually everybody's unique. I mean, the whole point of MS is no two people are the same with it. So why do we think that 
a certain diet is going to cure everybody. Mm. I don't think it will. Um, so I think that you can probably sort it out if you figure out what foods have led you down this route and cut them all out. Um, so that's my theory. That's what I'm working to. That's what I'm meticulously recording down to the gram, everything that I eat and everything that I do food and drink wise. And, uh, and it's, it's paying off definitely. Like I said, I've, I've put on two stone in the last uh, nine months, which is very exciting. Um, and I've been able to yeah. eat foods again. that I haven't been able to eat for two years because they were reacting so badly with me. So it's a lot of work to do and a lot of um, still research left to do. I've honestly done a degree's worth of research on nutrition and foods. Mm. And it's a lot of trial and error and snakes and ladders. I think snakes and ladders is the key thing because every time you, you, you go down a snake, you, you can get very low and think, oh, I'll never, I'll never be well. And then a few days of getting it right again and going back to the, those things that worked. And suddenly you're starting to feel good again and you're feeling really optimistic. And if anything, too optimistic and you think to yourself, oh, I'll be able to go for a run next week. And suddenly maybe, maybe you don't get too carried away, Joe. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something that I, I believe can be improved. But I don't think there's going to be a lot of help from doctors and conventional medicine from it in the near future. I love that metaphor that you used about the whole snakes and ladders, because as you've been talking, I mean, I can't imagine how exhaustive the process has been for you in terms of trying to find out what works, what doesn't being sold or this will change your life. Oh, but yeah, then you try it and then it doesn't. And then you try this. So the whole roller coaster and the snakes and ladders of it just sounds quite an exhausting yet positive journey because you said you know that there are some wins there are some things that you think ah this is this is gonna help this is helping but I guess my question is um if you've spoken to other people with MS is this is this a standard thing that you get your own degree in your own type of MS because the information just isn't out there I think that there's tons of information out there and there's loads of really good charities doing good work regarding research and sort of peer support and um, providing information around uh, sort of um, moving around and mental health and sex and all of these things. Um, there's loads of good organizations. But the way I've looked at it is that I've read all of these things and I've done all of these things and it's really helpful chatting to other people with MS. But Actually, the way I've come to look at it is the only way I can really figure this out is is through myself. Mm. Um, other people can recommend things that are really useful and really relevant if they, they've identified a similar problem that you've had. So, for example, I used to have an electric stimulator on my leg that would stop me from tripping over all the time. And that allowed me to walk on a stick for a lot longer than I would have been able to. But other people would have no need of that. But yeah, it, it, it was useful to find out about that from sort of other people with MS. Because you think, oh, that, that might work for me. So yeah, it, it's great chatting to other people with MS. But I think ultimately taking responsibility for your own for your own care and, and trying to figure it out all yourself mm. uh, is probably the best thing you can do. do you as find tedious it... and long-winded as that really is. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I I mean, I echo what Vicky says about, you know, the 
the sheer amount of work that you've got to do. I suppose my question relates to that in terms of does it does it infuriate you that there's no answer? Because it sounds like it's such a varied illness that every everybody that suffers from it is different and therefore everybody's treatment pattern is different and it's almost like no one can really help you in your exact case but you so is that a frustration for you I think the frustrating thing is more just not being listened to or being patted on the head especially Mm. by medical professionals I've been told so many conflicting things by neurologists that it's a case of oh well that's just ms that's just ms whatever happens that's just ms and then i say all right well how come my scans are exactly the same as they were six years ago and they just say oh it's just ms don't worry about it don't take any more medication and i sort of i've i actually had to talk a a doctor into a hole once and i said there's no medication so um so I, i shouldn't take steroids for this then and he said no i said well but this is a uh, this is a relapse, surely. If you're saying it's just MS, he said, "Yeah, it's an MS relapse." And I said, "Well, don't you take steroids for a relapse?" And he said, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, shouldn't you be prescribing them for me then?" And he said, "No, but it's just MS." And I said, "But that doesn't make any sense. If it's just MS and this is this is a relapse, surely I take the medication." And as it turns out, I I probably didn't shouldn't have taken the medication because it didn't, didn't do me any good. But um. His point was completely moot. They, they, I think a lot of medical professionals are thrashing around in the dark a little bit. And as much as I admire them, and I, I, there's no malice there, it, it's trying to help. Often, they, it would be so much more comforting if somebody would just say, we don't know, we've no mm-hmm. idea. Instead of always saying, yeah, no, it's definitely this. Um, oh, all right, tell me more then. No, I can't. And you think, well... If you don't know the answer to something, say, mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to something, rather than constantly trying to just yeah. voice people off, I think. I can't yeah. imagine that frustration. Because, I mean, not knowing is hard, but actually giving you almost like a false answer without any backup is even harder because you're swimming around in the dark. If you don't know, then as you can say, as what you did, you you research your own symptoms, you see what works for you. Whereas, you know, if they're giving you a half answer, you're kind of half relying on them, even if they don't know anything about it. That's what worries me the most. I mean, um, probably the two biggest books out there about uh, diet and, and re- regard to MS, one was by a person who was a doctor herself, and she sort of refused her diagnosis. And the other one, his dad was a doctor who basically took it upon himself to research his condition and they both found dietary ways which they're now um sort of flogging or or giving away to try and reverse it in themselves and i think that's the main problem is just doctors they have very little time in fairness to them and they probably see you for 10 minutes or or 20 minutes and they've got a list of guidelines and they, they're not in your body and they can't explain it and they don't know it. They've they've done 10 minutes pre-reading in between their, their sandwich or their coffee or whatever else. And I just I just don't think that's enough. And I, I, I admire the fact that they've all been to, to medical school and spent years doing it. But I don't think from those 10 minutes you can effectively learn what 
10 years of experience of MS for me has looked like. And I don't think you can really explain to me why why I feel a certain way on a certain day. So it's that's what led me to think, actually, this is this is all nonsense. The only way I'm going to get to the bottom of this is, is taking matters into my own hands. We often, with guests, ask them about frequently asked questions because invariably a lot of uh, guests that come on here um, have had different journeys and they get asked a lot of the same questions a lot of the time. <laughs> have, have you got questions that people ask of you and are any of them... Do any of them irritate you? Uh, people's ignorance, I guess. Um, I think it's not being asked questions that actually irritate me the most. Um, I'm very open. If somebody says to me, oh, can you have sex or something like that? No, it's the answer for the last couple of years. But um, I, I'm fine with that. Or or a lot of the time, I always used to find taxi drivers were um were great ones they just sort of look at you and go what's wrong with you then um <laughs> if you've got a walking stick or well, people would just say what what's what's wrong or or or, or what's i've heard like what's your problem before so like, i haven't got a problem uh, <laughs> wow <laughs> but um but that that doesn't really bother me as much i think the worst thing and i heard one of your previous guests dom talking about this is people assuming uh that you can and can't do certain things and then instantly adjusting their behavior accordingly if i want something i'm going to ask for it i think a lot of people with disabilities get very much used to doing that and you're quite comfortable doing that i'm fine with asking for somebody to do something for me it's when people try and do something for you without it being asked that you get really infuriated Mm. or don't do something um or, or or don't invite you to something because they think that you can't do it to get me wrong, I've not been able to do anything for a long time, but I still really appreciate the fact that a lot of my friends still mention to me that they're doing things or or say, would you like to do this? Because, of course, you, you don't want to be sort of the forgotten man or the forgotten person and just disappear disappear off into the ether. So I think actually the bold questions, they do come and they are pretty hilarious uh, <laughs> when they do come. Um, but actually it's the not asking questions that is most frustrating i don't know if you've covered this in previous podcasts but there's the uh the models of disability that they talk about in in training there's the charitable model the social model and the medical model and there's three different ways to talk about disability basically the the social model is what everyone should aspire to that is basically saying you've got a disability um you can do pretty much most things that anybody else can do it's just there may be a different route to it or you may need assistance and I'll ask you and I'll I'll find out what you want to do and treat you as a human being. Then there's the charitable model, which is you take me into the GPs and rather than wheeling me up to the county yourself, you go up to the counter and say, oh, I've got Joe here to see Dr. Johnson or whatever else. And that one infuriates me spectacularly um, because I'm, I'm still a human being. I can still speak. I can still interact. And people know that. So why why, why is somebody doing that for me? I don't understand it. And then there's a the medical one where you just refer to everybody by sort of very concise medical terms that don't really make any sense and dehumanize them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and these have been in development for a long time and applied to the entire spectrum of disability. And I, yeah, the social one, if I'm, 
being honest, I hate to be ageist, but it's people under 40 tend to be more leaning towards the social model and people over tend to be more the charitable one, like, oh, the poor deserving uh, disabled person. Um, let me do everything for them. Let me pat them on the head. But the encouraging thing is younger people are really getting it. And a lot of my friends really get it, um, which is fantastic news. And it's great for people with disabilities going forward because there's a lot of people with disabilities in the world. It's interesting. I've, I've spoken to um, groups of individuals who have a disability hidden and, and visible. And one of the things that stood out in connection with your social model is ableist saviors. So, a, you know, able bodied people who will just step in front of their disabled friends or family and do things for them and therefore like you're saying kind of dehumanizing you know just because they've got a disability doesn't mean they can't do things but they see themselves as doing a good thing because you know they're putting themselves forward to save that individual and it does more harm than good i totally agree yep um used to always tolerate the ableist saviors uh and i always thought well they mean well but the road to hell is paved with good intentions and um, yeah, meaning well does not excuse mm. ignorance or, or patronising, I'm afraid. Yeah. I, it makes I, me sound really harsh. Honestly, I wouldn't have no, been no, no, horrible no, to anyone I, doing it, but I, I would explain to them. I don't think it makes you sound harsh because I think the whole point of this podcast is to raise these topics and there might be people out there that do this for people and they might just think their intentions are good and that that's the okay way to react. And actually hearing people talk about it and say, no, actually, do you know what? Just say to someone that's got a disability, do you want me to do this? Or do you want me to help you with this rather than just doing it? And yeah. I think it's the conversation that needs to be had so that pe people understand what's okay and what's not okay. Yeah. So you don't sound harsh. You I, get to it I totally agree with that. Like, and it's as simple as, oh, do you want do you want a hand getting on that bus or do you want to hand up those steps? No, thanks. Or yes, please. It's, it's mm. two words. And I would say it would be an amazingly tiny percentage of disabled people who would ever get stroppy about that. I think most people would far, 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 far more appreciate being spoken to in those terms mm. than just having somebody pick them up. A, a, a bouncer did that to me on the way into a gig once. Was when I was still on a walking stick, I was walking to the, he came up and went, oh, you can go to the front of the queue. I said, fantastic. And then I got to the front and a bouncer came up and picked me up, like cradled me and carried me into the venue. And I sort of laughed and I, I could still walk at this time. I just needed a walking stick. And I thanked him. And now, now looking back, you think, shouldn't have thanked him. Should have, should have explained to him because he probably thought he was doing me a real favour and what a, what a hero he was. And you didn't Actually, ask first? Not at all. Just came up, picked me up and carried me about 20 yards. I think there was an element that he wanted to show off how strong he was yeah. probably to some uh, some other um, people in the queue that he fancied. But yeah, he was honestly thought he was doing a great deal. He was beaming and smiling while he was doing it. And I just thought, this is really out of order, but I, I said, oh, thanks very much, mate. And then I thought, actually, no, I did the wrong thing there. I should have explained to him that's that's not cool. That's a, that's a good segue into a question I've got about getting around 
in specifically probably in the UK today, mm. being disabled, how good is it? Is it as good as it can be? Um, I've not got much to driveway. compare it to. <laughs> um, I think if I'm honest, a, a friend of mine who who was recently involved in fundraising for my house, he got married this year and it's was really passionate about their wedding venue that it had to be disabled access, which was brilliant. And I, I'm I'm so thankful to Simon for all of his, his efforts in in this. And he he became quite an expert on sort of accessibility and venues around the country. And he was quite appalled um, by how few venues have are completely accessible now, and how few offices and how few places of work and the rest of it. And I think, to be honest, I've I found the same. Um, yeah, train stations are the bizarre one. I always find it odd that they you get to the disabled toilet and it will say, please ask a member of the staff for a key. So I think, well, what? So now I have to somehow find a member of staff, come back again. And some have got radar keys and those are great. But um, yeah, it's, it's there's still work to be done. Um, there's still an awful lot of work to be done. I don't know how we compare to other countries, but I would probably give us about a seven out of ten. Um, we're almost certainly better than a lot of places in the developing world, but I suspect that we lag behind places like uh, like Scandinavia and, and and Germany and the rest of it. It's quite shocking, isn't it, when you look at it in that way of how far behind we are. The other one I love is disabled toilets are nearly always a storeroom in a lot of bars and restaurants. So you go in there and there'll be like chairs stacked up and uh, yeah, and and that's very common. Sometimes you can't even get inside because there's so much junk mm. um, put in there. I've, which... recent, I've, I've recently discovered that because the baby changing facilities are always in the disabled toilets. And I'm yeah. like, how the hell are you supposed to get a wheelchair down yeah. here? How are you supposed to get into here you know and it, i'm not in a wheelchair i'm just carrying a baby and i'm like but it's a one size fits all disabled you lose are used for gender neutral as well so if you don't want to go in the mass just go into the disabled or oh, changing a baby yeah, go into the disabled you know adult changing or oh, go into the disabled it just are, are you you know it it's mind-boggling and it, there are so many different requirements just for disabilities alone i'm i'm getting on my soapbox now one of the best places <laughs> i've seen and i will give them a shout out is westenburg arboretum around in the southwest and they have actually got a separate adult changing disability room and that blew my mind because i just thought That's and good. it shouldn't blow my mind you know, it, but it was just that careful consideration that disabilities don't, don't don't all look the same and you have to cater for different types. And yeah, it just it shouldn't have blown my mind, but it does. And so that kind of goes on for what you were saying, Joe, about, you know, facilities and accessibility. Just it hasn't been thought through thoroughly enough. Not at all. And I, I guess. Again, we sort of have to accept our place in time uh, with these ones. And in, in 50 years, 100 years, maybe it'll be great and everything will be working. But um, for the moment, there's still a lot of work to be done. And there are disabled travel guides. Um, there are disabled sort of tour operators as well, which take carers with them. But um, it shouldn't be that you have to have a 
travel guide specifically for people with disabilities it should just be that you go somewhere and it's, it's got that like i say catered for mm. um but yeah it's it's going to take time and it's going to take years and years and years and there's various sort of laws to make these things possible but mm. um yeah I, th i think it'll be it'll probably be years and years if not decades mm. before we we get that universality mm. of of services that means that a disabled person can be completely comfortable yeah. uh going to anywhere they like your journey has been <clears throat> excuse me absolutely incredible in terms of where how it all started and the rapidness of where you are now what kind of help and support did you receive or did you find particularly helpful or poignant um I'll be honest, in December last year, when I weighed six and a, uh, six and a half stone, I didn't think I was going to live a lot longer. Um, I couldn't eat anything without it reacting and making me feel really ill. And it was it was getting a bit ridiculous. I mean, the, the photos are, are terrifying. And my mum my even admitted to me that she thought I probably wasn't long for this world either. And actually, a friend came round uh to see me and chat and he saw the change and set up a fundraiser with some other close friends from school um and that to be honest quite probably saved my life because it allowed me to have a treatment um for 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 my intestines that has allowed me to eat a few more things and that was so touching because they were going for um four grand i think it was and they, they got to 18 um which was amazing and, and and got so many great messages from people i'd gone to school with people i hadn't seen for 25 30 years in some instances um and i replied to every single one who donated and and, and had a chat with them on facebook if they were willing and it was it was so nice and it was such a such an incredible Thing. you realize just how lovely a lot of people really are and how nice um and how nice and good people can be and how how they do they do care and you think the same in a way you just want the best for everybody you know um and you just want to see everybody you know reaching their full potential mm -hmm. and to see that there are so many other people out there who actually have that that mindset as well it was really life-affirming And like I said, it's been a, a long year and it's been a hard year, but there are improvements being made and I have put on a couple of stone and that's because of that first fundraiser. And then a group of uni mates saw that and were inspired by it and they decided, do you know what, we're going we're gonna to raise some money for Joe to be able to get out his new house to be disability friendly. And so they walked, incredible effort, they walked from Leicester Uni where we all met to... West Ham United Stadium, which is the football team I support, oh. 103 miles, 103.1 miles, sorry, <laughs> in one go uh, to raise wow. money. And, and they've raised thousands so far and they're not, they're not stopping there. And you just think, my gosh, the, the, there's some really, really, really good people out there. And when I saw the blisters mm -hmm. on their feet and when I was, I, I sadly couldn't go to see them over the line in the end because the timings didn't work out. But I was videoing into them and i was just i was just bawling with tears um just t tears of happiness and the same with the 
the first fundraiser like every time i was checking people from school who donated and and various friends who'd been involved i spent about a week just solidly crying into my laptop going oh gosh people are so nice people people are so good and people are people are so lovely and i, I think that's been the support from friends obviously mm -hmm. i've I've moved home having left home when I was 18 and moved back into my home 20 years later. So the support from family has been brilliant as well. And reconnecting with local friends as well. Again, friends I haven't seen for a few years. I've come around and uh, been for a cup of tea or a chat around my parents' house. It's There's been so many incredible positives in the last nine months in what has arguably been like the darkest period that I could ever have imagined so i think i'll always have those things to cherish and that as as my health can improve and, and as it will improve i'll just have so many of these great memories and so many of these people that have been reconnected with so i would say to anyone listening you know if, if somebody you know has fallen on tough times or whatever else um they will love to hear from you even if you didn't get on when you were when you were 12 13 whatever else they will love to hear from you and they will they will cherish that and and it will really really help them and it it will be a huge benefit to them so so please do if you get the chance oh, that's nice well, that's nice to hear i like that um this next question might be a difficult one to answer because i know you've talked about different people's journeys are so very different are you gonna but... ask me if i can have sex <laughs> i'm not because you know my mum's gonna listen to this true very true <laughs> and you've already answered it anyway. yeah, true. i thought you were gearing up for the awkward horrible question no 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 um, <laughs> i mean but you've you've done it now anyway but no um no it's really asking the question about if there are people out there suffering with MS and they are, you know, you've talked about where you felt so incredibly low that you didn't feel like you were going to make, you know, the next few months or whatever. And it, it, the, the mental health impact that that had on you, I guess the question's twofold in that if there are people out there struggling with MS, you know, what would your advice be to them to get them through the difficult times, but also you talked a lot about how your family and friends have supported you and been such a strong network of love and support there. What would you, what advice would you give to someone trying to support someone with MS? Because I think it's so different for everyone. It's obviously a very difficult question to answer, but I'm sure there might be people listening to this that would appreciate any advice that you can give. I'd say two things. If it's in person, listen to them don't try and offer them advice i get very bored of people telling me what i should do or what I, what, what their their auntie did or whatever else mm. if you're if you're telling them something actually um i did call the samaritans a couple of times and that was really useful they were very very helpful um but if you are a friend of someone with ms or, or, or any kind of illness or or problem going on in their life just listen to what they've got got to say and don't keep chipping in with really annoying advice and ill-considered or poorly thought out advice. The other thing was I benefited tremendously in the last year from just having people believe me. A lot of people don't really believe you when you think you can turn it around, but some people do. And they sort of, I can sort of, 
count them all in my head. There there've been some people who've said, "Yeah, I, I absolutely am on board with you. I think you can do this." And that that's huge. That makes such a difference. Um, one of them's just a and sort of old guy who used to live next door to me and um he will message me every week to say how are you doing and he sort of says oh we'll, we'll go out for dinner at some point this year and uh, i really believe we'll play football together again um i don't we never play football together in the first place but anyway um it's about <laughs> 80 but but that's really touching to have that that level of support and i haven't seen him for about two and a half years and i only lived next door to him for about a year and a half and it's just that level of care and and kindness that makes a huge difference. And the other is people quite often will message every now and then. And you did it yourself, Katie, as well throughout the last year, where every month or two you just sort of get a message saying, how's things going at the moment? And I know two or three people that do that. And it's just really, really nice to know that people are, are willing to give that support if you need it. And I think that that can be quite, um, that can really bolster your mood as well just to see those those little acts of kindness those it takes five seconds to send a message to someone to say how's things going um and that makes a huge difference so so many things like that make it make a big difference but i think the the big one when it comes to -to face-to-face support is is if you're going to ask the question listen to the response don't ask the question so you can then start talking I'm glad. I'm yeah, glad. That's... I'm glad you you received those messages well because I thought you'd be might be like, oh god, it's her again. I'm like, hi, <laughs> hi, Joe. <laughs> I'm sure my mum's told your mum all about it. Anyway. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> so you told us about the house that you're going to be moving into soon. So, but what what else does the future hold for you, Joe? Well, I mean, I'm at an age now. I'm in my late thirties, where I think. Probably actually in a weird way, MS has cost me the chance to get married and have kids because, um, like I said, it, it kind of put pay to my last two relationships. And in a way, in a weird way, it's probably a blessing because the more I think about it, maybe that's that would never have been for me. And that I quite like being able to travel and sort of freewheel and, and pick up various jobs and, and, and move around a lot. So really, once I've get sorted either with a wheelchair or with with my health to the point where I can be more independent and move around on sticks again um I think that life will involve just being able to travel being able to be be a bit free for a few years and uh, I'd love to move abroad again I really would um it takes on a lot of added uh complications with the um when you've got an illness uh, that is disabling but it's uh it's something i'd love to do again i lived in china for a bit i lived in australia for a while i taught in france and australia as well i'd absolutely love to get back to doing that i mean office jobs are, are great and and the pandemic has really made it possible to work from home which has been a, a godsend for for myself and and actually uh my, my my previous job was setting up a lot of people with disabilities to the point where they could work from home but uh that's not not really what I want to do I love being out with people I love being out talking to people and and one of the things I I did before was was um teaching English to adults Uh, I came to that quite late in life but I thoroughly enjoyed it meeting people from all over the world and I'd love to get back to that but if not I keep plugging away in the office jobs and uh I keep meeting people that way as well so yeah it's 
it's hopefully going to be a life of sort of total freedom and, and, and moving around and bopping around and just uh, deciding deciding where to go next and, and figuring it out from there. Um, it it might have been nice to to do the the family and and kids thing and the marriage thing, but like I said, it's it's probably not going to happen now. So uh, so let's make the best of the of the other situation. You can always pop over and babysit Freddie. You know that's absolutely. That's... <laughs> it's always an option. He's not always this noisy. I promise. The, the problem is, I probably couldn't be trusted to babysit at the moment because if there was an emergency. I just I'd be more relying on Freddie to try and help me out of the house <laughs> than the other way around. But um, have, maybe we... maybe in a few years when he when 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 he gets to the point where uh, you want to go out and he's not quite old enough to look after himself yet. We haven't tested his ability to cope in an emergency, so uh, not yet. But he we can should... probably lift me up. Yeah, he's looking pretty strong there. He is. He is beefy. I mean, he's gone to sleep again now, so it's fine. <laughs> um, we always ask our guests for a final sip. If you've listened to the other um, episodes, you might have you might have heard it. And it's an opportunity for our guests to sort of really put out there a message that they want to leave to all the listeners. And that might be, you know, how you feel, how you want people to view MS, whatever you feel like saying, it's your opportunity to take the floor. Oh, gosh, I uh, hadn't thought of this. I would say <laughs> the number one thing for MS or any disability or, or anyone who's just experiencing some kind of difficulties, whatever that may be is treat them as a human being, um, don't make any assumptions, and don't try and do things for them unless they ask you to. And then take it off from there, but also just show that, that you're interested and that you care. Um, I absolutely love hearing from people that I know, and I absolutely love contacting people that I know and saying, how are you getting on? And it, it really it, it is the thing that makes life worth living completely. Um, is is those social interactions that we all have is those those friends and those families and those groups so keep doing all those things and like I said treat them as a human and and learn to listen I think that is the number one thing is learning to listen and and and, and not try and do everything for everyone else Joe thank you so so much for giving us your wisdom and just kind of <laughs> some of the things that you've said have really I don't know they they yeah they've really I think they're going to stick with me for a, a long I'm time touched. Vicky I've heard the words marvelous and wisdom in just <laughs> over an hour that's I know. you've no idea what that means to me that's, that's I've never right. had either word leveled at me in the past well <laughs> I take payment in money to <laughs> coffee so you know I'll send you a box of of uh, whatever tea you want Oh, okay, not green tea. Not green tea. Oh, <laughs> oh Joe, thank you again. Thank and you. Thank you no, for just being so honest. It's been an pleasure. It's been lovely to speak to both of you, I must say. Oh, I'm hoping I'm going to be able to come down and bring Freddie and see you in your new bungalow at some point over the next year. Most definitely. I, I, I'd love to see you both. And, uh, oh. and your husband as well. Yeah, you can, yeah. You can come. Maybe we'll see. That's a good cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and thank you everyone for listening. And if you've liked what you've heard, we have got a supporters page on our website where you can buy us a tea or a coffee or anything else you fancy. I'm quite partial to Prosecco Ooh. or gin. <laughs> Cup of Prosecco. Mm, yeah, I'll take it in any form. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Prosecco flavoured tea. You can get that. that. Really? Oh my gosh. Yeah, Bird Whoa. and Blend, I think, do one of those. What? I know. I know, it's we not, should investigate. It's not Prosecco without the bubbles. 
you could you drink through a straw and you could just blow the bubbles in oh oh now you're talking yeah we're going off piste here we're going off piste again i'm sorry (laughs) listeners i'm sorry um thank you for listening and make sure you join us for the next episode coming soon thanks everybody and joe will you check in with us in a couple of months time and let us know how you're getting on i would love to yep no problem thanks so much everyone (laughs) thanks everyone bye bye